Good morning. Yesterday we had this, uh, our second annual spring Bible conference here at the church, and if you missed it, uh, just pastorally I'd like to say shame on you, um, and it, it was so good. I can say that because I didn't do any of the teaching. <laughs> it was just so good to sit under and hear about the Word of God. All of the sessions will be on the website in the coming weeks, so you can go there and listen to those. Talked about the authority of Scripture the necessity of Scripture, the clarity, the inerrancy, the sufficiency of Scripture. It was so good. Uh, and I, my heart is just full of love for the Bible after being there yesterday. And I hope that you take advantage of those resources that will be available here in the next week or so. Well, we come this morning in our study through Ephesians to chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And this is a section that is commonly and famously perhaps known as including the armor of God. This is Paul's instruction for how these Ephesian believers and us by extension are to think about and respond to what he calls the spiritual forces of evil. Now today we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 and I'm going to treat this, I think as Paul does, as an introduction to this section. Paul is letting us know what the problem is before he tells us how to deal with it. And this will be important as we continue on. So I just want to let you know my plan for the rest of the book. We've been in Ephesians for a while. So we'll take verses 10 through 12 this morning. Next Sunday, Ben Gunderson will be here. Ben's pastor at Chisago Lakes Baptist Church. He taught yesterday here. And I would really like all of you to get to know Ben. He's a wonderful brother in the Lord. He'll be here next week. Then we'll spend two weeks looking at the armor of God from verses 13 to 20. Then it's Easter Sunday. Can you believe it? Easter's almost here. And then my plan, Lord willing, is that the last Sunday in April we will finish the book of Ephesians. So that's pretty exciting. So we'll see what the Lord does, but that is, that is the plan Jacob has. But as we all know, God does what he wants. So this morning, if you haven't done so, let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And you can follow along as I read. I'm going to read this whole section, verse 10 through 20. And we'll begin for the morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, I am freshly now reminded of the importance of your word. 
and greatly encouraged that in your word you have given us everything that we need to live a life that pleases you, to know who you are, to know what you expect from your children. So Father, this morning we bring ourselves corporately under the authority of your word. All authority comes from you. And this is the clear place that we see you exercising this through your word. So Father, as we come together and we look at this passage, I ask that you would give us the help that we desperately need. If we only look at your word with human eyes, we'll see nothing of value. We need your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Just as the psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your law. And so today, as we look at this preparation, this information that will help us in our walk with you, Lord, please come and be our teacher. Give us the aid that we need, and by your Spirit, would your word have its full effect this morning. It's a work that only you can do, so we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul opens this last bit of instruction to the churches in Ephesus with this word, finally. And that can mean from this point on, it can mean the consummation or the finishing of something. And even though this last bit of teaching appears at the end of his letter, it is no less significant. We sometimes, I don't know, do you ever do this? Like if you start reading a book and you're all fired up about it and maybe you'd never finish it because you kind of lose interest and things towards the end don't seem quite as important. That's not Paul at all. He is giving very crucial instruction for us. So don't, don't think that this is just an afterthought of his or he kind of forgot to put it earlier in the really important section and now he's throwing it in at the end. This is vital for our Christian life. He has given many different instructions for different areas of life, different positions that we as Christians find ourselves in. And now in this section in verses 10 through 20, he is giving instruction about the unseen realm, what he calls spiritual forces. Now his first instruction to us and to this church is is that we are to be strong in the Lord. This should be pretty common to hear about the strength and the power of God. Several times in the book of Ephesians, Paul has mentioned this. He's spoken about the fact that he was made a minister of the gospel by God's power. That was chapter 3, verse 7. He says that the power of God at work within us is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. That's chapter 3, verse 20. He prays and asks that we would have strength to comprehend the love of God. So this power and strength of God is a repeated theme. So this should not be unfamiliar when we see Paul say, okay, look, church, you need to stand in the power of God. should be somewhat familiar. He's already done this. But before we assume that Paul is just calling these believers to kind of do some spiritual workout to build themselves up, we need to understand exactly what he is saying. Look at the verse again. It says, be strong in the Lord. Very important bit of qualifying information there. We need to understand that when he calls us to be strong, he's not calling us to strengthen yourself. He's actually calling us to a greater dependence on God. I get that from the way he says what he says. It's not simply be strong so that you can stand. We have no strength. You know that. I know that. 
He says, be strong in the Lord. And we're going to see why this is so important as we go on. The word Paul uses for be strong is voiced in the passive sense, meaning that it's not some action we perform, it's actually being performed upon us. You are being acted upon in this strengthening that he is calling for these churches. And believers in Jesus, Paul is saying, need to draw on divine power so that they would be strengthened to do what he's going to call us to do, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now the way that these believers, and you and I, access this kind of power is not through any kind of... uh, physical transaction. It's not some kind of mythological seance kind of close your eyes and hum kind of a thing. The only way that anyone has access to this kind of power is through union with Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is applied then to us through hearing the gospel and hearing the word of God. This is important, especially in the context of Ephesus, because as we've seen earlier, this was a city, and all of these people around this area were heavily influenced by witchcraft, by magic arts, by different kind of incantations and things. And I think Paul says what he says, that this strength comes from God, is because the temptation would have been maybe for new believers, less mature, people who aren't believers who are hearing this letter, for them to try to imagine some kind of situation in which they could attain the power of God through their own means. That isn't at all what Paul has in mind. This power is only available through Jesus Christ. Now, power is attractive to everyone. I think if we were really honest, we would all prefer to be in a situation where you and I decided everything that happened. That's true. I mean, that's I think that's part of our human nature. So Paul is reminding these believers that the power he's talking about, true and effective power, only comes through Jesus Christ. Now it would have been enough, I think, for Paul to say, be strong in the Lord. But what he does in the rest of this verse is he expands and intensifies, I think, what he's saying. Look at the rest of verse 10, where he says, Be strong in the Lord and, what? In the strength of his might. What is the strength of God's might? What is Paul talking about? Where might we see that in the scriptures? That language, again, should be familiar. We've already seen these words used together in chapter 1. Turn back to chapter 1. I think this is worth seeing. Just a couple pages to the left. Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 18. Paul is describing what happened when Jesus was raised. So follow along. Chapter 1 verse 18. And listen for similar language. So strength, might, power of God, that kind of thing. Listen for this. Ephesians 1 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? So in Paul's mind, the definitive display of God's power and might are seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. That's the power and the strength of God's might. And Paul is saying that same strength 
that raised Christ from the dead is what's going to strengthen you to stand against the schemes of the devil. Every one of us should say, praise God to that because of our inability to stand on our own. But Paul says, it is not your strength. It is the strength of God, the very same might that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says, be strong in that strength, in that might, and in that power. One of the things I think Paul wants us to understand is that we are on our own incapable of standing against the schemes of the devil. Which is why he says what he says next. Look at verse 11 in chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the armor, you have the ability to stand. Implication, no armor, no standing. Right? Put it on so that you will be able to stand. Now we're going to get into what the whole armor of God is in the coming weeks. But for now, Paul says that you and I need equipping. We need to be outfitted with the right information and the right tools to be able to effectively stand against the attack of our enemy. Now it is somewhat interesting to me that Paul here gives no biography of the devil. He does not explain the origins of Satan or where he come from or how he came to be doing what he's doing in the world. He's mentioned him twice before in the letter, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 7, but only in passing. The existence and the works of Satan are common ground between Paul and his readers. This, this is important. This tells me something. This tells me that in Paul's mind, it is far more important to warn this church about the power and the tactics and the attacks of Satan than it is to satisfy their curiosity about well, where did he come from and, and what happened. Those are important things, but Paul doesn't deal with that. He deals with what we need to absolutely know, which is this is what you need to do to stand against him. It's interesting to me. There is so much infatuation with dark spiritual things. Do you, do you realize this in our world? I think there's always been. But there's so many uh, TV shows and movies about demons and satanic things. There's this fascination with this. And I'm sure there was here too in Paul's. I'm not even going to touch that. You know he's real. You know what this is. Here's what you need to know. Put on the whole armor of God. Now I want to jump ahead. Before we talk about these schemes, I think we need to know a little bit about who we are dealing with here. In verse 12, Paul describes in greater detail why we need the armor that he is going to tell us about in the coming verses. It's his way of preparing us for what we are going to face. I said at the beginning, this is Paul's introduction to this section so that we know exactly what we are getting into. And I want to give an illustration of this. Preparation is very important. It is very important that we know what we are getting into. Let's say you're a contractor, uh, builder, carpenter, whatever, and you show up at the shop in the morning and you talk to your supervisor and you say, okay, what am I doing for the day? What do I need? And he goes, oh, you're actually going to, go to the, you're going to go to the Andersons. You've got to finish trimming out their basement. So wear your clean shoes because you're going to be in the house. Bring the air hose that's not all muddy. Uh, you're going to be in the house. Okay, so you get all that stuff. You go to the job only to find out that's not what you're doing at all. You need to pour concrete in front of the garage. 
Maybe some of you have been in this situation because I see some heads nodding. You don't have the right tools. You don't have the right information. You don't have the right boots on to do this work. You are not prepared. You didn't have the right information. You see what I'm saying? I think Paul's emphasis in telling us what he says in verse 12 is to give us the right information so that when we come back to the armor of God and you start listing through these different pieces of armor that Paul uses, you're going to say, oh, I remember what he said in verse 12, and this would be really helpful. This is preparation. This is Paul saying, I want you to know exactly what you are up against. This is all going to tie together as we keep going. He wants this church in Ephesus, and you and I, to have the right information. Let's read verse 12 together again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I've mentioned a few times that I've used John Stott's commentary uh, through Ephesians. It's been very helpful. And when he's introducing this section, I want to read for you what he says. He says, A thorough knowledge of the enemy and a healthy respect for his power are a necessary preliminary to victory in any war. Hear what he's saying? You have to know what you're getting into if you're going to plan for victory. Similarly, if we underestimate our spiritual enemy, we shall see no need for God's armor. We'll go out into the battle unarmed with no weapons but our own puny strength and we shall be quickly and shamefully defeated. So he agrees that Paul is giving us this information by way of preparation and I concur. So sandwiched in between... Paul's call to put on the armor of God and operate in the Lord's strength and when he's going to detail between these two things are this preparation. And he gives us a full and frightening description of the forces that are arrayed against us in verse 12. So what are these powers Paul is talking about? Verse 12, he calls them spiritual powers. Some people, uh, somewhat surprising to me I guess, are very quick to say that these powers are uh, human or man-made institutions and governments. These are the things that Paul is really warring against. Now those are certainly influenced by the spiritual realities that we're seeing, but I don't think that's the right interpretation for several reasons. I'll just give you a couple. First, Paul explicitly says these are spiritual powers. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He's, He's contrasting, right? So I don't think primarily he has in mind um, that these are physical or man-made governments, institutions, policies, that kind of thing. Obvious connection, but I don't think it's primary. The second thing is that this group of words that Paul uses here, rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, that that is his favorite way in all of his letters to refer to demonic forces. He's already done this in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.21. We just read this a moment ago, that Christ was raised above the rule and authority and power and dominion. Or again in chapter 3, Paul says that he preaches the gospel to the Gentiles so that the church might display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities and powers. But maybe most convincingly to me is found in Colossians chapter 2. You don't have to go there. You can listen. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood between us and against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to an open shame, triumphing over them in the cross. It's really clear to me that when Paul in Ephesians 6 says rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, he is referring to spiritual forces of evil. So if that's who they are, let's talk about what they are. I have three things from the text, three characteristics that I think will help us understand to a greater degree what we are up against. First, these spiritual forces are powerful. They are powerful. Paul calls them the cosmic or worldly powers in verse 12. Cosmos is just the Greek word for world. So when Paul says that they are cosmic powers, I think what he means is that even though They are spiritual beings. They have power to affect things in our world, in our space and time reality that we live in. It would be a huge mistake for you to assume that because these are spiritual powers, you might think of that as kind of like ethereal, you know, non-existent, whatever. It would be a mistake to assume that because these are spiritual powers, they have no effect upon your life. They do, and they can. Satan and his angels are powerful beings who exercise their power for harm and destruction. So while Satan has been, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, has been decisively conquered and defeated at the cross, and just as we sang a moment ago, lo, his doom is sure, Yet under the sovereign hand of God, he is allowed to persecute and disrupt and lie and do all the wicked things that he does. He is powerful. However, I want to qualify this in case you're starting to get a little nervous. We ought to view the power that these spiritual forces have as both temporary and limited. The power that Satan has is temporary and limited. When Satan goes before God and he wants to touch Job, he wants to go after Job because he can't stand the fact that Job loves God, he lives in righteousness, he fears God. Satan can't just do whatever he wants. He does not have unlimited power. He has to go to God and get permission. And God restricts what he does and Satan has to obey. His power is limited. Also, his power is temporary. If you know your Bible, you know that at the end of time, Christ returns and permanently and finally casts him down. His power is temporary. His power is limited, but it is still power. Next, these powers, these spiritual realities are wicked. They're wicked. Power itself is neutral, right? You can use power for good or you can use power for evil. It is amoral in a sense until you get a hold of it as a person. Satan and his demonic forces use their power for evil. If you read a New King James, it calls them the spiritual hosts of wickedness. I think it's a good translation. If God's plan is to create one new man in place of the two, to break down barriers that separate people, to restore humanity to himself, then Satan is going to do whatever he can to combat that, to fight that, to disrupt that, and to destroy that. 
Is God's plan to triumph in the world through the church and the preaching of the gospel to reach those who are unreached, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, then Satan will attack the church with full strength because he is always and only wicked. Which is why Paul calls these the spiritual forces of evil or darkness, maybe your translation says. Third, these spirits, these forces of evil are crafty, or cunning maybe is a better word. In fact, the word Paul uses for schemes of the devil in verse 11 is, it means trickery or deceit. If you, if you have a King James, it probably says wiles. You remember that word? The wiles of the devil? Remember Wiley Coyote? What's he always doing? He's running around trying to destroy stuff and be sneaky and, and do all this stuff. That's the same word Paul uses for the devil. I'm not trying to minimize the devil or make him be a coyote. I'm just saying. It's the same word. He is crafty. He is cunning. You and I need to be very cautious as believers that we do not underestimate the sneakiness of our adversary. We need to be very careful that you don't only look for temptation and traps in the big, obvious areas. Yes, you need to look there. You need to watch out for pride and for lust and temptation and murder and all these things, but it is so easy for you and I to say, well, I didn't do that bad sin. Boom, there's pride right there and Satan's got his foot in there. Or if you just harbor some resentment against somebody, a little bit of unforgiveness, a little bit of just hidden anger, that's just as much of a problem and that is just as much of an opening for Satan to come into your life and start wreaking havoc. We have to be on guard against these small, seemingly insignificant things because our enemy is crafty. He is cunning. One of the most subtle ways that I think Satan works, there are many, but I just want to draw attention to one thing. I already mentioned it. It would be unforgiveness. One of the subtle and devious and sneaky ways that Satan can wiggle his influence in is through unforgiveness that's harbored in our hearts. The problem is, excuse me, when you have been wronged or sinned against, it's easy to justify those kinds of feelings. To say, well, I I didn't deserve to get treated like that. Maybe you didn't. But if you are harboring and keeping that kind of resentment, that kind of unforgiveness, that's not just an innocent little variation in your attitude or or something you need to eventually get to. That's sin. That's sin. And that is one of the tactics that Satan uses. I, I bring this up because Paul specifically dealt with this in 2 Corinthians in reference to Satan's operations. And I want to read this passage for you. You can turn back, this is 2 Corinthians 2, or you can just listen as I read. But listen to what Paul says about this unforgiveness and the influence of Satan. 2 Corinthians 2, 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. 
For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we might not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. You see what he's saying? There was a problem in this church. There was someone who had sinned in Corinth. And the church was withholding forgiveness from this person. And Paul is telling them, if you do not turn and forgive this person, if you continue holding that, you are playing right into the schemes of the devil. But he says, we're not unaware of his schemes. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see how a little thing like taking up an offense can be so dangerous? It is so dangerous. Yes, keep your eyes open for the big, obvious areas that are just boom in your face. But be so careful to guard your heart against the sneaky, subtle ways that Satan will wiggle his way in there and make you feel justified in your actions. He is crafty. He is smart. And he will do whatever he can to get in between you and God. He hates this world because God created it. He hates humanity because we are made in the image of God. And he especially hates God's children who have been adopted and brought into God's family and are now sons and daughters. We are in a war. The, the, the armor language is not coincidental for Paul. This is very much on purpose. This is warfare. And it is what you and I face, which is why Paul is preparing us for this. So are you going to get caught off guard by the schemes of the devil? Are you unaware? No. Why? Because you know Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Or at least you're going to know it in the next few weeks. This is Paul's preparation. He wants us to know these are powerful, wicked, and crafty spiritual beings that we need to be on guard for. And like I said, he tells us this in way of preparation so that when we get to the armor of God, we will understand in greater detail why we need it. Now, I want to close by offering a word of hope to us. Maybe you hear about the activity of the devil and his ability to tempt and to, and to wiggle his way in and, and to try to thwart the plans of God, but I, I have to close with a word of hope. There's a reason that Paul calls us to be strong in the strength of God's might rather than simply calling us to be strong. And it is, like I said before, because we don't have the ability on our own to stand against this kind of temptation, this kind of constant pressure. And by the way, if, if you want to know more about this, this happens to be the topic of Sunday school tonight. As we're going through systematic theology, it just so happened that same thing we're talking about this morning the same thing tonight. So come back at 6.30. We're going to develop this a lot more tonight. But for now, <clears throat> I want to read you another quote from John Stott. And he, just, he says it way better than I could, but it really summarizes my feelings. And I know sometimes it's hard to listen to a quote, but please listen to this. It is, it is so helpful. So here we go. You ready? Only the power of God can defend and deliver us from the might the evil, and the craft of the devil. True, 
The principalities and powers are strong, but the power of God is stronger. Hear that? It is his power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly places and which has raised us from the death of sin and enthroned us with Christ. Yes, it is in those same heavenly places, in the same unseen world that the principalities and powers are operating, but they were defeated on the cross and now are under Christ's feet. So the invisible world in which they attack us and in which we defend ourselves is the very world in which Christ reigns. Is the devil powerful? You bet he is. Does he hate you? Yes, he does. But Christ is more powerful. And his love for you is stronger than the hatred of the devil. You need to know that. This is not something that should cripple you in fear. You have to know what we're fighting against, but do not let this bury you. Because if you are in Christ, you have everything that you need to stand against the schemes of the devil. I hope that's an encouragement for you, as it was for me. We have a real enemy, brothers and sisters, but he's been conquered. And one day God will put him away. And in the meantime, we draw our strength, our hope, our assurance from Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this section of your word that tells us in, in no uncertain terms that we have a real enemy. And yet as we look at the world around us and the obvious uh, result of Satan's working and influence, it's easy to despair. But I pray that you would keep us from hopelessness you would keep us from despair. You would keep us from thinking that you have lost control for some reason. You haven't. You are firmly seated on your throne. Your word is fixed in the heavens. Satan can't do anything unless you allow it. And so, Father, please remind us that even though our enemy is strong and present, you are stronger And through your spirit and through your word and through your people, you are able to strengthen us for everything that we will face. So remind us of your goodness. Remind us of the thankfulness that we ought to have because of what Christ has done. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.